Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by these crazy characters that occupy the sitcom of my life. And they are Richard. What's the deal with podcasts? They're neither a pod and you don't cast them. What's the deal? <laughs> and Michael. Howdy. <laughs> Richard and Michael. Well, you know how they are. Um, if one says tomato, the other says potato. That's how weird it is. That's how weird it is. Um, but they do debate the uh, most ubiquitous elements of any given subject. And this week we are debating the Mount Rushmore of secondary Seinfeld characters chosen by Richard White. I love Seinfeld, and one of the things I love about Seinfeld is this incredible universe they built up around the show, mm -hmm. so that it's not just the four main characters, it's how the four main characters bring in everything that's happening around them, and yeah. all these stories often interweave with each other, and characters mm -hmm. that was a plot line for one, one of the characters two seasons ago suddenly comes back and someone else has to interact with them. Mm -hmm. And I think just Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David created this like perfect. Yeah. In you know, kind of enclosed uh, hermetically sealed universe that everyone just keeps bouncing off of each mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. I, I do. It does strike me as uh, similar to a series like um, um, the X-Files where they had a monster of the week. Mm -hmm. So you have this <laughs> entity <laughs> This idea or this fear or this something that's embodied by a person. Seinfeld and Larry David as observational comedians had these peeves that they ended up assigning to a guest star. <laughs> to particular people who would like just be the representation of those those yeah. like grievances. Well, a, yeah, what a great analysis. Yeah. That's wonderful. So that's why you're here, Chad. That's why I'm here. God damn it. Uh, so uh, Richard chose it. Michael, get us going. I have four categories this week. Woo! The categories uh they're george jerry no they're not <laughs> uh, be pretty good, one though. is uh basically a cast member second one is girlfriend or boyfriend uh a one-off character and uh co-worker okay i also have uh categories this week might as well just get them out on the table sure. Love to. i got lovers mm. got bosses mm. i got family yep and i got friends Ooh. i love it cool well, so it's such my, a big my universe. Categories where... are better than your categories. <laughs> On the Mount Rushmore of categories, Jeff, which is the better category? <laughs> oh, I gotta vote even more. <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess my first is the one that's basically a cast member, and that is, of course, Newman. Oh, fun. hello, mm -hmm. Newman. We all have enemies, whether they are self-inflicted. <laughs> why? Why are you pointing at me? Oh, that seems weird. Oh my gosh! Huh. If you notice, that is. The mark of the Van Buren boys. Yes. That uh, this little nose, this little nose yeah. thing, yeah. <laughs> uh, we all have enemies that either we've made in life because of a stupid slight or you just have gotten to know someone mm -hmm. <laughs> way, yeah. way too well. Yeah. And um, Newman is played by Wayne Knight, is one of those characters. He's mm -hmm. uh, so. Uh, you just hate him. Yeah. yeah. And I think Jerry uh, Seinfeld, the comedian not the jerry seinfeld the comedian on the show mm -hmm. kind of addressed newman as like hey he's just a guy that you just want to hate you yeah. just need as someone that you just hate for no reason mm -hmm. and uh you know newman is so irritating and he's but he's also hoity he's kind of he thinks he's above himself and above mm -hmm. jerry he hates mm -hmm. jerry just because he doesn't think he's a very good comedian right and uh i think also secretly he's jealous of jerry for having dated elaine 
Okay. I think there's. I think that's the, if you're gonna kind of peel back all of the layers, all the layers, of, all the layers of Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you get down to like he, you know, Jerry dated Elaine for a little bit. And that's about it. But he's just so wonderful, and he, you know, going through the list and looking up appearances of all of these different cast members, mm-hmm. he's like, I don't know how many episodes there were, 150 maybe, nine seasons times 20 episodes mm-hmm. is what? Nine, I 180, he did 109. To, yeah, 109. That's it. That's got to be more than that. Yeah. Anyway, so like, he's ranks the second in most appearances by secondary characters, oh, okay. with only having forty eight appearances. So it's uh, I think it's interesting to see a character who feels so ingrained in the show. Uh-huh. He feels like the fifth cast member at mm-hmm. times, either him or maybe yeah George's parents. Mm-hmm. That uh, he's only been on maybe a third of the episodes, but mm-hmm. to have such a presence, um, I think is. Really, what kind of pushed him yeah. over the top for me? You were more correct, 180 for those people who wanted the answer oh. to that. Yeah, yeah. So he his presence was so consistent that mm-hmm. when we unpack that movie and the show in our minds, we feel like he was kind of a regular, like Steve Martin on the original SNL. I always felt like he was an original cast member when he was not. He just guested so many times that he felt like original guy. Was was Wayne Knight? I feel like Wayne Knight's career. That's his name, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, for me, Newman blurs into his Jurassic Park character. Oh, of course. They're very much the, of the same. Yeah. There's something piece. about the way he as a performer uses his stature and uses his, his heft. His heft, yeah. <laughs> to be that guy who kind of represents, um, for, for all Seinfeld's um, neuroses, he seemed to kind of keep a pretty tight ship. You know, like physically, he was thin. His place was all kind of clean. Wayne Knight seemed like he always was in a, a rumpled Hawaiian shirt with a, a, a baby Ruth wrapper coming out of his pocket right. or something. Like that. There's something just unctuous and yeah. sort of like, like you said, sort of like what full, a great of, word. full of himself. Yeah. yeah. You know, in his position with the uh, post office. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Very, very proud of what he does at the post office to the point of being like frightening. I, I love that aspect of his character where he is both proud of being a postal worker, kind of uh, like uh, uh, like like it's a military. No, like thing. what's his name from um, from Cheers? Uh, oh yeah, Cliff. 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 Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, kind of, you know, the the, the USPS is so open for jokes about it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he would talk on the, you know, as a as a you know employee about how the system is just. No one delivers 50% of the mail. Yeah, yeah. No one can get to that. It's impossible. <laughs> or how zip codes are all fraudulent. Uh, or, <laughs> or sometimes it just sounds like he's talking about Nom. Yeah. Like, like yeah. he's been he's, through he's the gone, shit. Yeah. He's gone through such an experience being a lifer there. <laughs> he's he's so great in that he allows Kramer, you know, because he's uh, on the show. He's such a good friend of Kramer's. Yeah. He really allows Kramer to get into some really kind of harebrained ideas. Uh-huh. Kramer, you know, is just this walking... Id. He's just this spasm yeah. of a person, and then to have someone that kind of grounds him, but also goes along with him. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think it's just a, the physic, the physicality of some, you know, that you he's know, very Laurel and Hardy. Yes, the tall, skinny character next to the kind of shorter, fatter character is right. always going to be the R two D two and C three PO. The you know uh, those those two pairings, I think you they make. They make yeah. such an impact. I is, think yeah. Sancho Panza. <laughs> I think you're right. I think that they bring new. They brought Newman in whenever there's some sort of scheme that's so harebrained and like crazy that like they they know that it's too much even for the regular characters. Yeah, yeah. Like you need somebody who is like a you know going to get involved in some get rich quick scheme mm-hmm. or something like that. That's mm-hmm. that's when you need. Yeah. That's when you need to go to the bullpen. Yeah, <laughs> call, in, call call in, call in Newman. <laughs> 
Well, that's a cool first choice. Uh, Richard, what do you got? All right. In my lover's category, uh, I'm going with uh, Elaine's on-again, off-again, on-again, off-again boyfriend, David Putty. Great. Oh, yeah. Um, started off as Jerry's mechanic. Mm-hmm. He's actually an honest mechanic, mm-hmm. which I think kind of set the tone for his appearances moving forward. Um, one of the things I think that set him, he's almost like a proto Andy from Parks and Rec. Oh, okay. Just kind of like this. That's a good comparison. Big though. dumb lug of a character who's, it, by contrast to almost everyone else in the Seinfeld universe, actually a decent person. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just winds up kind of had, but has his quirks that drives Elaine crazy, and mainly because he's kind of not exactly too much going on in the brains but he means well he's a well-meaning kind of doof i think one of the big differences between like the jerry character who is always ticked off by someone's idiosyncratic nature or like the, the, the singular thing and elaine uh, putty is her ideal boyfriend but she just wants him to be different yeah jerry is so willing to cast someone aside for the slightest offense that he doesn't want to change anybody he's looking for someone that's already perfect yeah yeah uh kind of but he's looking for someone that will fulfill everything without Mm -hmm. but uh i don't know but like elaine is just like she wants putty but he's like kind of dumb but she wants putty crossed with like jfk jr yes yes you know Uh, she wants like smart putty yeah and you're not gonna get that he's the guy yeah (laughs) he's very good show He's the, he's he's the guy who dresses who you know paints his face like the New Jersey Devils mascot yeah. and scares a priest into a heart attack. Mm-hmm. That's th- who he is. What I think is interesting is that these first sorry to jump on your role. These first two choices is that you can't really see Patrick Warburton in another role other than right. being yeah. Buddy. Like yeah. when he was in uh, Emperor's New Groove as mm-hmm. playing like a crunk, he was just kind of like yeah. Buddy. Tick, yeah. the, the the tick was kind of putty. Yeah, mm-hmm. his commercial that he does for I think it's Allstate is kind of just like. Yeah, putty. Even his intro to Soren over uh, California, <laughs> yeah. he's he's putty. He's this guy who's who is gleefully unaware that he's always speaking like he's talking through a microphone, right? And that he is not, uh, even though he's handsome, he's not necessarily God's gift to everyone. But right. he's blissfully uh, inobservant of his flaws. Things that he loves: the devils. <laughs> Arby's, high fives, mm. uh, jackets with eight ball sleeves and uh, yeah, and, and on the back or yeah, that's right. or yeah. fur coats. Yeah. I do feel like what unites many of the characters in a story like Seinfeld or in this uh, New York, very kind of Jewish kind of comedy world that has been developed over many years by not just Seinfeld but many other uh, comedians is that. Putty, the one thing Putty doesn't hate is himself. And every other character That's in true. the thing mm. hates themselves. There's, they hate something about themselves, to, much to the point where they're, they overly scrutinize everybody else in their world because they do it to themselves. That's funny you mentioned that because Putty, as we found out, is a Christian. Ah. And in one of the episodes, The Burning, um, uh-huh. he winds up... Um, just, Elaine finds this out because he's got like a Christian rock station programmed in uh-huh. like a, his AMFM, and he asks Elaine to steal a newspaper for him for some reason because she's going to hell anyway. Oh, so it doesn't hilarious. really matter. That's... And at the end, they wind up going to a priest to um, get some sort of guidance on what they should do with their relationship. And the priest says, "Well, you're both going to hell anyway because you're having premarital sex," oh. which makes Elaine incredibly happy. 
Uh, and that is sort of the difference between the main Seinfeld characters and someone like Putty. Yeah. Elaine is taking pleasure in the fact that she is dragging, literally, yes, dragging Putty down to hell with her. Yes. Versus Putty, who's just like, well, you know, I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell, okay, you know, yeah, sort of thing. <laughs> okay, Michael. Uh, my next one is also a girlfriend or boyfriend. It's a girlfriend. It's the character Jenna, as played by uh, Kristen Davis on the episode The Pothole. Okay. Um, Jerry, I know this one. Um, you will, by the okay, time you okay. get to it. Um, Jerry dates a lot of women throughout the show. Mm-hmm. 60-something different uh-huh. girls that he's a bit affiliated with in some way or the other. And they all, like we've talked about, they all have a single thing wrong with them, whether it's uh, Man Hands, who is beautiful mm-hmm. and perfect in every way, and she just happens to have these huge gangly yeah. man hands. Yeah. Um, or it's the girls like um, uh, Dolores, whose name he can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah. Or uh, Janine Garofalo, who is actually like too close to him, right? Like too much of a, a carbon copy of him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or uh, there's a character, Ellen, who is perfect. Mm-hmm. And it upsets Jerry that she's yeah. perfect because yeah. fi- he, he can't figure out why. Yeah. Jenna, on the other hand, is like the epitome of this. And it goes back to like his prissiness where he's dating her. She's wonderful. And then he accidentally knocks her toothbrush in the toilet. Mm -hmm. He turns around and the next shot is her brushing her teeth with a. Oh, God. And he as like a neat freak. And it's like this. Yeah. This. He's so wound up. He can't get over it (laughs) until he does. Uh-huh. On the episode, he gets through it. He like you see like this growth in this character. Like she is actually worth it. Yeah. To okay, this is crazy. She kind of enacts this revenge on him, mm-hmm. uh, where she puts something of his in the toilet, and mm-hmm. he discovers it's the toilet plunger. Yeah. So he's like, oh, I got you know. He's scrubbing his house down because she's told him, oh, I put something of yours in the toilet. He can't figure it out. Uh-huh. You know, he's driving himself crazy. He gets over it. And then, of course, at the end of the episode, she gets covered in sewage. <laughs> and he's just like, ah, yeah. I can't do that. I love that the idea that there's a character that he tries so hard to change for. Yeah, yeah. And no matter what, you know that he was, mm-hmm. it was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And she's great. She's like super sweet and funny and just intelligent. But just like yeah. that first thing, you know, he just, he always, they always find something. Yeah. It's, it's. And it's such a unique show that, like you said, like the monster of the week element. I think mm-hmm. I really you know who um, the monster of the week is. Oh, it's off Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. All the yeah, time. He's, yeah, he's always constantly the monster. The monster. <laughs> well, those characters went from being just kind of eccentric to being terrible human beings mm-hmm. in the course of yeah. Four, it's like the opposite. Four, four seasons in, like the switch had turned, and they're like, oh yeah, well we're just gonna go all in on them all being awful. It's like the the opposite of character growth. It was like yeah. character de-evolution. Yeah. You know, the longer the show went on, the more they were with each other and enabling each other, like the worse they were. Mm-hmm. And that extends to Jerry with his, you know, nonstop, uh, nonstop paramours and dalliances mm-hmm. where there's just always something that he's able to find. And as the series goes on, it goes from being like things that are like, I think probably more realistic or more. Honest, for sure. For sure. Versus, and then as the show keep, kind of keeps going on, and I don't know if this is almost that they ran out of things that they could do that were like big obvious things, like walking around in your bra the whole time. Uh-huh. Um, was that Sue Ellen? That's Sue Ellen Mitchkey, Yeah. Uh-huh. Eventually, getting to the point where it's like the very minor or these really ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the the de-evolution of these characters. Yeah. That they get worse as they go on. Yeah. It does seem like in Larry David's follow up, uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. 
it seems like it's what he's weaponized that uh, ability to get to bad behavior <laughs> more quickly right <laughs> or judgment of others or inability to change he just starts on that and yeah. all yeah all it is yeah all right so my next pick is uh, Frank Costanza in terms of the family okay my family pick nice hmm. co-creator of the man's ear <laughs> the bro and they're also known as the bro uh, inventor of the stop short and grab <laughs> and Festivus. Yeah, he's just, you mentioned Kramer being pure id. I think of Frank Costanza as being this like idea of id. Mm-hmm. Like he has like no filter, right? Whatever is going through his head at that particular moment is what he's going to blurt out. Yeah. In that very distinctive sort of Frank Costanza way, which apparently, at least for the first appearance of him, Jerry Stiller had trouble remembering the lines. Oh, really? So that's why he would kind of talk like, yeah. Like this, yeah. <laughs> because like he would just like the lines would come to him like in these like little uh-huh. blocky little blocky like like elements. <laughs> so that's sort of where the character voice and tonality came from, mm-hmm. which I find kind of wild. Yeah. Um, but he has no filter. He's just this incredibly self-centered person who just whatever is whatever is bothering him at the moment, he's just going to let everybody know. Yeah. Versus someone like. George, I mean, you wonder what it was like growing up in that household. Mm-hmm. He's almost like the exact opposite. He internalizes all of these yeah. grievances and things that are wrong until they eventually, you know, come, become his downfall. I thought it was always interesting the way the show uh, involved the um, the parents, especially for George and Jerry, uh, to see how these maniacal people yeah. became who they are. Yeah. You can understand why Jerry is so... Uh, pent up and mm-hmm. George is you know bouncing off the walls because he, to live in that environment would drive anybody into to turn into George to, right to turn him into just this raving liar and have a dad who's who wakes up who uh, wakes his mom George's mom up Estelle when she faints after the finale when they uh, get sentenced to a year and immediately says we gotta go we gotta beat traffic uh-huh. <laughs> not <laughs> oh my god you know our son got you know no we need to get back to new york and we need to beat traffic uh-huh. oh, yeah it's just a sense of their priorities are so uh you know off the deep end that you understand why they're, yeah. why george's priorities are so off the deep end too and he's basically the main character of festivus mm-hmm. which is i think my favorite seinfeld episode ever mm-hmm. so it would be hard for me to not include him just yeah. based on that but they've just brought up these again when i talk about there's this world of frank costanza that we know about even though he's not a main character like he's horrible fear of mice um he loves squirrels on the other hand never takes his shoes off because he thinks shoes have bad people's feet have bad smells so if he doesn't take uh-huh. his shoes off He'll be fine. Uh, loves yelling at George Steinbrenner about past trades and deals uh-huh. that were made. I'd trade Buna for Phelps. That sort of thing. Um, and he's just, he is this like, when you, he's one of those characters that like you can just throw him into a scene and it automatically just completely like throws everything off the rails yeah. in a good way. But as soon as, as soon as Frank Costanza makes an appearance, Everything goes like bonkers. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. bomb goes off, and mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. I love that in another show they might use the parents to show to create a an apology or or to kind of give some forgiveness to the character. It seems like in Everybody Loves Raymond, we've got this neur- neurotic 
uh, Ray character, but then you see his parents. They live with him. You see he did not fall too far from the tree. You see where he be- yeah. how he became that. Yeah. You're like, oh, I get that. Yeah. yeah. In Seinfeld, there's such a policy of uh, no hugging, no learning that, right. <laughs> that the, the parents are, are just there to just kind of create even more chaos. Yeah. And, and George is there to disappoint them like yeah. <laughs> regularly, so you can see why they're always yelling at him. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, uh, am I right that we are at at halftime? Okay, we are at halftime. And I want to thank you so much for being a listener of the Mount Rushmore podcast and invite you to do more. Come on. It's like pledge time at the uh, political radio station. We want to ask you to do more, contribute more. Go online to our iTunes and Stitcher pages and leave a review or rating, if you would. And then join us on our Facebook site um, and join the conversation by suggesting topics or giving feedback on topics that we have done already. You could join some of the uh, um, dozen or so people who have ended up being on the show. If you got like a great topic, we might Skype you in. There's another way that you can participate. Uh, you can go to uh, Instagram. You can go to Twitter. You can talk to us there. And you can go to uh, Audible. Audible.com. And you should actually go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. And there's something waiting for you there, and that something is a free audiobook. That's right. For you, the listeners of Mount Rushmore Podcast, a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to try out Audible. You could try out Enough Rope with Andrew Dunn. No, actually, no, wait, wait. You could try out My Seinfeld Year by Fred Stoller. I read this book. It's pretty awesome. It really talks about how the writers would get these uh, stories on they would have some kind of idiosyncratic experience with a, a date or a relative or a friend and then pitch them and this is about the year that comedian Fred Stoller uh, spent on Seinfeld so that is there on Audible over 180,000 other titles to choose from for your iPhone Android Kindle or MP3 player and you know what we like to help other people in the podcast community of which we are a part and we do that by helping promote their podcast. So uh, if you want to hear new cool podcasts, try this one. Transmission commencing. This is Wookie Radio. Translated for the Wookie Affair. I like that Wookie. Your hosts, Ken, Derek, and Mike, bring you the latest news and commentary from the far reaches of the galaxy. Uh, hold it. Hold it. I said hold it. Subscribe today on iTunes and Stitcher. I just assumed it's a Wookiee. Start listening today, and remember... The Force will be with you, always. And now we are back. So, uh, we are debating the Mount Rushmore of uh, second-tier Seinfeld characters. And, Michael, what do you got? Uh, for my one-off category is the Bizarro Gang of Kevin oh, funny. Feldman and Gene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin, the character of Kevin, Kevin was a boyfriend of Elaine's, and um, they broke up. And then he suggested that they just be friends, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. And he was good at that. Wow. She discovered a person that was very much like Jerry. Yeah. But just in the exact opposite ways. Who's yeah. Not neurotic. Who's not um, a mean person. Mm-hmm. And eventually, she's introduced to. Uh, his two friends, Gene, who's a counterpart to uh, Bizarro, to George, a.k.a. Yeah. Bizarro George, and uh, Feldman, <laughs> who is the alternate version of Kramer. And the entire episode is built around this idea of uh-huh. if you understand, if you know Superman comics or if you know 
like Superman lore of the bizarro Superman who yes. is like Superman in every way except he does everything backwards. Yes. Which leads to this wonderful exchange where uh, Elaine or Jerry is explaining it to Elaine uh, how you know super you know Bizarro says bad bye instead of goodbye. Yeah. She's like, well, why doesn't he say like, uh, he no he says goodbye when he arrives and you know hello when he leaves. Yeah. And she says, well, why doesn't say bad bye? Isn't that the opposite? And like, so yeah. he's trying to get it into her head. And she doesn't actually care. Yeah, yeah. She's just you know the rules are stupid. The rules are stupid for Bizarro anyway. Yeah. So she's just like, mm-hmm. I would rather hang out with these people who are nice. And, yeah. Yeah, but, but then I, I like this because it plays on the fact that we've established that Jerry is like a Superman nut. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it plays on something that we've we've built up over the years. Yeah. When uh, he dated a girl, too, in an episode whose name was Lois mm-hmm. uh, for one episode uh-huh. just and only because she uh, looked like Lois Lane and had her na- his name. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, an interesting thing about the Kevin character was that if you go into his apartment, he has a bizarro Superman uh-huh. statue in there, just in oh, the background, that's hilarious. Yeah. just kind of tucked away. Yeah. But I love that these characters. There's even like a bizarro Newman named um, Vargas <laughs> <laughs> that they do. They do like the same sort of bit with with uh, Kevin, where mm-hmm. like Elaine's over and this guy Vargas, and he's like, "Hello, Kevin." He says, yeah. "Hello, Vargas." And then it, like they're friends. Uh-huh. It's, it's it, everything is in, in their world is upside down. Yeah. And I, I don't remember what led them to end that relationship. Uh, I, think I know they, this one. Because, did they just kind of walk away? Or no, did... because something happens and Elaine gives the get out of here and like pushes. Oh, yes. And he winds up pushing him down. And they're like, why did you push him? Her kind of play, playful anger. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> you're way too angry to hang out with us. <laughs> and so she basically blows it by just basically being by being yeah. herself. There's I, no bizarro Elaine, I uh-huh. guess. I love that moment where one it takes a like a Samuel Beckett kind of turn. Like these characters are all basically in this limbo hell <laughs> where they are doomed <laughs> to uh, meet people who are either placed there just to raise their ire, um, and they're stuck with each other. So they'll be here, and Godot will never show up. Right, and they'll be stuck with them forever. Or if they were to find something good, they wouldn't know how to deal with it. They would uh, crush it. Um, like the bunny rabbit and <laughs> mice well, that, and men. <laughs> well, that's the finale, right? They're just sort of doomed to sort yeah. of like sit there and talk. I mean, they wind up talking about and repeating the same joke, the same joke from the like the the series premiere. It's yeah. just like it. Their lives, like you said, no learning, no touching. Yeah. Nothing ever gets better, and nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I like. I do like that. There is just an alternate world of the Seinfeld universe where everything is exactly the opposite. Yeah, where uh, Jerry's parents are are. Not crazy. Where, like, who's yeah. the? What is George's parents like? They must be really warm and mm-hmm. and uh, reserved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quiet. Keep to themselves. Or, uh, okay, who's next? All right, I'm next uh, in my bosses category. Mm-hmm. I'm going with George Steinbrenner. All right, as uh, voiced, not not physically embodied by, yeah. but voiced by Larry David. Mm-hmm. One of the two times we hear him on the show. Mm-hmm. The other time being as uh, as George Costanza's lawyer. Who wears a cape for no good yeah. reason, <laughs> which I just love, and I actually thought about putting him on on uh-huh. the list just because that would have embodied, I think, every like bizarre like one off character who has these quirks yeah. that we don't know where they came from or what they have to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody decided to go with a, a Steinbrenner, and I like this pick because Seinfeld has this tradition of taking sort of celebrities or pop culture figures and just putting them like through this like kaleidoscope and twisting it 
yeah. then whatever you get back is like this almost like bizarro version mm-hmm. of who that celebrity or that person really is. It was always interesting how they incorporated the real world into yeah. like it felt like a you know because he worked for the Yankees. It's like, oh, that's a real thing. They didn't make up their own New York. The New York Knights or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. They, they, you know, uh, Kenny Rogers Roasters is a thing mm-hmm. that actually exists. And that yeah. was that store played a big part into an episode. It's strange to see how they do that, how they're just like, yeah. oh, we're just going to reference a real thing and everyone mm-hmm. will just know. And it kind of grounds them in New York. Obviously, it's a, you know, kind of this fantasy land, New mm-hmm. York that they mm-hmm. live in, but it's. You you know like oh well the Yankees yeah I know the Yankees I know who George Steinbrenner yeah. is I yeah. know he's kind of a kook right and then they just kind of you know they just amp play it up. up to like the nth degree and just have Steinbrenner be a complete raving like rambling lunatic mm-hmm. who just makes George's life a living hell but also at the same time George becomes somewhat successful almost by accident just because Steinbrenner has no ability to sort of grasp the idea of quality yeah, yeah. you know. He's so busy firing people that George's for he's busy so busy I think firing people for little things yeah that George's gross incompetence doesn't register with him mm-hmm. so he just knows George as the guy who who was eating a good calzone yeah <laughs> and so then he would have lunch every day with him because he wanted to get the calzones uh-huh. and that's just how his his brain worked it's almost like the, like a, a primitive like sort of brain uh, two things one it's almost Trumpian that like George yes. Stein, uh, that this character would be surrounded by like this strange cast of ineptitude but mm-hmm. would keep them on because he keeps getting distracted by something else yeah yeah um and two i love the idea and i don't know if this is what actually happened i would love the idea of george when they play against him if the guy was just gestating and doing all these motions without saying anything mm-hmm. like i hope that like they just did the adr oh yeah in the app. but i would just love the idea if it was just like silent and then like george eventually would have to choose or uh what's the actor's name uh the play George. No, Jason Alexander. J- yeah, yeah. The, the Jason Alexander would have to just choose a moment when to jump in. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, okay, 15 seconds of ranting. Yeah. There's someone off stage going, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would hope that like, that scene and that set would be like just uh-huh. perfectly silent of just like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, a web, I'm sorry, there was a BuzzFeed thing or something that said they actually taped Steinbrenner a couple times for the show. There's one time that they taped Steinbrenner, and he, the real Steinbrenner was going to take a lane to George's wedding. Mm-hmm. And they, Larry David said they recorded it. He flew out, recorded it, flew back. They looked at it and said, he's not an actor. Yeah. And we can't use this. So he had to call George Steinbrenner up and tell him he was cut. That's funny. From the episode. Wow. <laughs> and That's hilarious. And of course, Steinbrenner is like, "There, you can you can tell me what it is. I'm a big boy. I'll take it." You know. <laughs> but I just love this like, this character who's just like at this. It's you said Trumpian, and the Larry David's characterization of Steinbrenner has an element of Trump, yeah, to him, and that it's just sort of stream of consciousness. Yeah, you don't know where these like, like he'll call George in the office and go, "Hey, George, how's it going?" So, so I hear you're a communist. What? <laughs> or like he'll just get going down these like thought thought processes where you're like where the hell is this coming mm-hmm. from where is it going mm-hmm. you're making no sense you're rambling very trumpian uh the, the seinfeld seems to be a product of larry david and jerry seinfeld uh criticizing the world and developing observational uh material about it and it seems like with steinbrenner they probably spent many of their times as yankees fans saying asking themselves what is he thinking? 
And then now they have the opportunity to actually put words in his mouth. $16 million for Hideki Arabu? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> okay, Michael. Uh, my last choice is under the employee or coworker. It's it's a boss, like Steinbrenner, but mm-hmm. it's Jay Peterman. Oh, fun. It's there you played go. by uh, John O'Hurley, uh-huh. um, owner of the Jay Peterman catalog. Uh-huh. In another instance where they involved a real life. A real, yeah. And I didn't know that growing up. Who was this guy? <laughs> yeah, you didn't know he was real. Okay. No, no, I didn't know that the Jay the Peterman catalog, yeah, yeah. catalog existed. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. assumed it was just a play on J. Crew. Yeah. But I guess oh, there's yeah. just a whole other. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just a big thing. Yeah. And he's like this world traveling eccentric. Yes. Kind of uh-huh. Richard Branson esque. Yes. Uh, mixed with. God, I got to think of who else the other. Isn't like the most interesting man in the world? Yes, kind that of is exactly yeah. it. It's like it's like the most interesting man in the world. And yeah. If Hemingway had Hemingway, a catalog, that yeah. is exactly who mm-hmm. it is. And he, uh, eventually, Elaine is. She gets a job working for him as a writer on his catalog. Because uh, he encounters her on like this yeah. rainy night, and she's crying. She lost her job. I think she lost her job, the Mr. Pitt job, or whatever she did there. I don't even know what she does. She was an editor That's for right. Mr. Pitt. Yes. Yeah. Who was the one that she worked for that was like she would cut up, like she was like an assistant to? I think I was originally Mr. Pitt. That okay. might have been. There was so, uh, getting it all mixed up. Anyway, but she, he encounters her on like this very romantic sort of setting. Romantic, not in a love way but romantic and uh-huh. very swept up mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. the thing and she ends up kind of dazzling him with the, her use of language and gets a job yeah. writing for you know yeah. hats yeah. describing hats yeah. you know melodramatically but he is this character that's this bombastic and insane and has ridiculous things that he mm-hmm. says and he you know uh, ruins Elaine's life and also promotes her at the same time yeah. so he goes off to um, uh, Burma mm-hmm. And uh, uh, or Myanmar, as they, and you know, and she gets elevated to the to the role of CEO yeah. or head of the company for no for no reason. Yeah, and then she has to fill in this role as mm-hmm. dealing with all these other underlings and make these decisions. But he's just so eccentric and so interesting, and yeah, but like self imposed eccentric. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I, he's my favorite character on the show. Yeah, I. What's so funny, and this this might tip my uh, hat in terms of judging, is I feel like John O'Hurley and uh, Patrick Warburton fall into this kind of same category of character that Ted Knight would have played. <laughs> this guy who's speaking in all caps at the people around him and has this puffed out chest and uh, moves forward through the lives of these neurotic people with this self-confidence that they could never muster. Right. And oblivious to his uh, fractured logic and silly idiosyncrasies that he has. And, and there's no one there to call him on. It. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're usually that person who's speaking through a megaphone on top of this lifeguard chair <laughs> to the world around them. And these these uh, n- n- neurotic characters can't even take a swipe at him. So, right, yeah, he's, just, so far, he's so far afield from real life. Yeah. It, it is interesting that between John O'Hurley and the Patrick, Patrick uh, Warburton, yeah. You've got these two characters with these two actors with these like just amazing voices. Yeah. That just use them to like instead of using them to command respect and you know authority, it's just they use them to be bomb- either dumb as a rock or yeah. bombastic or something. It doesn't it doesn't actually translate to anything positive. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. one thing I did like was that it was a character that actually interacted with 
the other characters on the show. Uh-huh. Like, unlike like George Steinbrenner, who you primarily see interacting with George, like he bought Kramer's life stories for $50. Yeah. And I love that, that idea that Kramer would try to tell a story and then realize, oh, no, I, I sold these to this person that is like already eccentric. Yeah. But needed more. He found uh-huh. it's like there's this guy that was already more eccentric than him. And he's like, I, well, I'm so wealthy, I can just buy him. And uh-huh. of course, he buys him for a pittance. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, Richard. All right, so my last one, and this is in the category of friends. And this is a, a, an oft-mentioned friend, although never seen. Bob Sacamano. Um, this is Kramer's unseen friend who's always getting into something insane. Um, <laughs> that guy's a real psycho. He's that guy. Um, he's, and, the one, he's the one that you'd buy, like, uh, rat hats out. Right? Well, he's the one that, like, for example... When about they have the best names on I the love show, his names, yeah. he's the one that when uh when George when uh Jerry starts to turn into Kramer, mm-hmm. he's like eating his ice cream one day, yeah. and, and Elaine needs like a fuzzy hat. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Kramer's friend Bob Sacamano, he sells uh, Russian hats over there, Battery Park for forty dollars. I mean, they're not quite as good, but the 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 the, the, the difference is negligible. Yeah, <laughs> that is the difference is negligible. Is my favorite line <laughs> from the entire series. <laughs> Just the way that he, that he just speaks it so frantically, and it's that that is so perfect. I love that you brought that up. Yeah, it's it, it's the perfect someone doing somebody else, and he nailed it like really well. So things things that Bob Sacamano has done, he uh, went to the hospital for a hernia operation, and it got screwed up. So he now sits in a chair by a window, repeating "My name is Bob" in a high pitched voice. Uh, he was in a min- mental institution once, uh, but his synapses were so large that they Electroshock therapy didn't do anything for him. Uh, let's see. He uh, got a job at a condom factory, and he gave Kramer all the de- defective condoms. Just stuff like that. Like one time, Bob got rabies. <laughs> it's just like anytime that they need something, it's like, oh, Bob Sacamano, he can help you out with this. And it's like, no, he can't. Yeah, because he's a completely insane person. Yeah, and I love. I just love this idea that there is one person in the world. That is like Kramer's Kramer. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a really good point. <laughs> you yeah. know, who is the person like, I'm sure if Jerry is talking to other people about Kramer, they're like, wait, this can't be a real person. Yeah. This is insane. That Kramer's got that one person that even to him is like, oh, this, this guy is yeah. that sort of thing. I just, again, about the idea of this entire Seinfeld universe, like you said, this, this almost like play world version of New York. Mm hmm. I just love the idea that, you know, friends of friends of like, you can go two or three levels deep and you've got these people with these ridiculously, you know, thorough uh, storylines. Well, it is a funny reading. Well, during the halftime, we plugged that. I plugged that Fred Stoller book. And during while reading Fred's book, it was fascinating for me to find further evidence that it seemed like, uh, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, and to the extent that the writers on that show actually did contribute stories, from what I understood, uh, Larry and Jerry always wrote the final draft, but that they were essentially uh, creating the DNA, uh, chronicling the DNA of New York weirdos and this group of people who make up this kind of nucleus and this basic uh, helix of this DNA and then adding all these other people to the strand um, and all these characters 
do such a good job of kind of adding to the genetic material of the show and making it this cesspool of viral <laughs> matter that you just don't even want to get any close to. But I do find that fascinating that that and very generous because here is a uh, America's leading comedian at the time who was able to to open up a show to be upstaged by so many characters that were actually much more mm. interesting than even characters than he was. that didn't exist. Characters are off <laughs> right. stage mentioning these people. Yeah, yeah. Characters who came up with the idea for the rubber band on the rubber band and and paddle ball. Yeah, thing. That's how he made his millions. <laughs> That's how he made his millions. But, yeah, I mean, the, just that. Yeah, like you said, it's almost like he realized he was sort of what everyone else should be bouncing off of. Yeah. You know, and I think that was a really smart decision. If it was Seinfeld, but it was about Jerry Seinfeld, Mm -hmm. I don't think the show would have worked or wouldn't have worked as well. So I think that's when we're talking about this world, we're talking about this whole topic and why I kind of came to it. Mm -hmm. It is that idea of, yeah, you've got four basically equals and they each have their own worlds and how they collide. And that's where, that's where the show gets really fascinating. What if it was a show where someone is forced to become someone's butler? Way, <laughs> because he can't pay something off, so he's gonna be uh, his butler. His that butler would be a great show. I love it. <laughs> I do feel like uh, now that we're kind of talking about the show in general, um, Ricky Gervais in in many of his af- after the Office characters has done the Larry David thing writ large by bringing to the screen this character who is is has the inability to do the right thing or see his flaws and spends the whole show doubling down on all these horrible, horrible behaviors. And in extras, he did have a kind of a, a nemesis too. That was very Wayne Knight ish. Hmm. Yes. Um, but yeah, that is a great analogy. I feel like Jerry and the rest of the cast are like the pinballs and everybody else is like the flippers and bumpers that they all get <laughs> knocked around from. All right, guys, you guys, this, this has been a very, very, very kind of even, um, uh, so a lot of great choices, and so uh, honestly, I'm just gonna just grab a few because uh, you guys had very compelling uh, justifications for all of these, and in way, some of it was uh, getting my mental DVR and playing some back, and some reminding me of something new. Um, Michael, because he does seem to be uh, Jerry's the leader of this gang, and he's Jerry's nemesis. So I'm gonna go with Newman, and. Uh, I'd never, I've forgotten all about Bob Sacamano, um, Richard, so yeah. I'd like to grab that one. And then because they were, uh, I think, very kind of similar in, I, I think of these characters as kind of similar, um, I want to do with Putty and then do Jay Peterman. So I think we're two and two. Yeah. All right. Okay. Even Stevens. Right Even Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thank you, uh, um, audience, for listening. Uh, This has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I, as usual, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. Two minutes. Look at the shoot.